The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. The Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 9. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. And those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. And shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Lord, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. Well, another good morning to you. I am clay, as has been said, and uh, I've, I come here frazzled <laughs> from my journeys. Um, I have three miles till empty on my radius. I hit some sleet on the way in, and I am happy to just slide in here with you all <laughs> to a Lord and God whose burden is easy, whose yoke is light, and to have rest and to worship with you. Uh, this, as has been said, is the last day of 2023. Uh, so whatever that means for you, whether it's regrets about what's gone on this past year, whether it's hopes for the future, uh, we place all these things, our burdens, upon the Lord, and we come to him. We pray that you have the peace of Christ in his name. Once again, you are welcome here. And as I'm welcoming, I ought to welcome myself <laughs> and be thankful that you have all welcomed me. Uh, it's been a joy to know Pastor Chad uh, as someone who's mentored me in my vocational calling uh, in ministry, and as someone who uh, helps you figure out how to pursue your call in the world in the various places where you are. It's good to give him a break and also to just worship with you all. Very excited to be here among all saints. Uh, tomorrow's the Feast of the Holy Name. If you follow Christmas tide at all, it's the, in the fullness of eight days, Jesus would have been circumcised and given his, his given name, Jesus. And so we celebrate that as well. Um, this series is, is looking, as I understand, at the book of Isaiah through the lens of true reality. And you, you've seen various headings under that, various sermons 
uh, sermons that proclaim this word to us that of God's people's condition, of the call to serve, of the choice to trust, of the grace to serve. And now we come to the end of the series. This is, I think, the second last message you'll have in the series. The result of that grace. What comes of following God? What comes of serving him? What comes on the other side of God's grace? What kind of world, what kind of situation pertains? Well, we see at the end of chapter 59, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. This is the, a, a beautiful picture we're about to see, a picture of the end. What is the result? What's it like living on the other side of grace? when it's come in all its fullness. And the word given today is beauty, and we see it numerous times in the text, or versions of it, glory also connected to that word beauty. Beauty being its, its pleasingness, but also glory is its weightiness, its significance, what makes it uh, profound, what makes it glorious, what makes it good. So it's not a sermon so much today on art as such, although there's many texts that we might turn to, right? The Lord is a creator. We image him. We can participate in being his image by being creative. This is not so much a text on creating visual arts or creating beauty in the world. It's more about a life of beauty. It's a call to live a life of beauty. And so as we unpack these things from this word, will you join me in prayer? Gracious God and merciful Lord, we give you praise and we give you thanks. Sanctify us in the truth. In the splendor of holiness, let us come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm not an expert on beauty, as my general demeanor may uh, have notified you. Uh, however, three cliches came to mind when I began to think about this text from beauty. I want to walk through them one at a time and see what the word of God would add to this as we pursue beauty. We see in the first three verses... Beauty is light and beauty is glory. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It made me think about the idea of beauty sleep. Right? The idea that Beauty is something that we have within us. It's very precious. You can't spend it. You must sort of hoard onto it and cultivate it. It's a natural thing. We can kind of run out of it. It's very striking to me that the first two words are rise and shine in this text, right? Rise and shine. This is not a beauty that rests. This is not a beauty at ease. This is not a beauty safeguarding itself, not spending itself. This is a beauty out in the world shining. It's the first thing we see in this text from verse 1, rise and shine. Beauty is something to be shared, according to God. Then he goes on, for your light has come. Right? This isn't a, uh, a, an inner light that we simply possess by our nature. Right? We're to shine, but our light has come. There's a light shining upon us in this text. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So our light is a reflected light, is a reflected beauty in this text. 
The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Then we see a contrast in verse 2. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. Darkness has come. Darkness is common. Darkness is everywhere in this text. It's among all the nations, all the peoples. But there's a peculiar light that has shone upon us. There's two things, interestingly, in the New Testament that are referred to as the light of the world. One of them probably comes easily to mind, right? One of Jesus' great I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world. But the second one we find in Matthew chapter 5. You, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our glory that we shine in the world falls back to someone else. It's someone else's glory. Of course, Jesus will go on to say, don't do good works to be seen, right? There's a way in which we don't want to make it all about us. We're not putting the spotlight on ourselves. But yet, there's, we're, there's this command to shine, to let God's gift to us exhibit itself in the world so that we can say, yes, that's his. He gave that to me. He did this for me. Isn't he glorious? This idea of darkness also we have seen several times in Isaiah. If you turn back to 52, you might remember when he said, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, right? Rise and shine. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come unto you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and rise. Right? This is a rising from darkness. This is arising from filth to splendor, from darkness to light, rise and shine. And his glory can be seen upon you in the second half of two there. His glory, his glory will be seen upon you. God is all the difference in this shining. Finally, the nations come, and we'll unpack this more as we go. The nations shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. This is a picture of a, a, a picture-perfect future of God and his people, the light of the world, his glory being shed abroad, declared in all the earth. Uh, this Christmas season, you would have even uh, seen it uh, in the early chapters of Luke, right? He says, a, a light uh, to, the, to the nations and glory for his people Israel. This light shining, this is the future of Israel. What are the points here? What do we take away from this description, this rise and shine? Well, I'm not saying that uh, self-care is bad, right? This is an argument against beauty sleep. It doesn't go pretty for me when I don't get mine either. But, I, but we are saying this. There is no spiritual beauty sleep. The beautiful life that God calls us to is not natural to us. It's not something we can stir up ourselves. The beautiful life is inexhaustible. It's not something we need to hide under a basket to safeguard. The beautiful life is found in rising from darkness to light. Uh, last night, my family and I, when we were feeling better, <laughs> uh, went out to see the, the zoo lights. So in the Milwaukee County Zoo, they put up 300,000 lights 
huge spectacle of uh, Christmas lights. And we go there, and we're just seeing all the different shapes, all the, the lights that are contorted into different animals. There's, like, life-size giraffes made out of Christmas lights. It's very, very cool. And we're there, and my daughter, Rosie, my favorite picture of the night is when we are just, you know, we had to stand in front of each one, right, and take a picture. Well, Rosie's standing there. My favorite picture, we took all these ones, and they're kind of silhouetted in front of them. My favorite picture of all is the one, actually, my oldest son, Gabe, stole, <laughs> stole the phone from mom and went around taking his own pictures. And he accidentally flipped the camera around, so he's going like this, and it's going the wrong way. Well, he's going like this, and Rosie is standing next to him, and she's reaching up and just petting this giant light giraffe. And the picture doesn't even include the giraffe at all. It's just her face lit up by this. Lit up in more ways than one. Right? Lit up by the brightness of what she's looking at, but lit up by the wonder in her eyes as she sees this glorious right, light display. Her face is lit up. Each of us is like Moses coming down from the mountain. Right? Think of the disciples. Uh, in, in the book of Acts. What, are they, what, what did people notice about them? They perceived that they had been with the Lord. Each of us is gazing upon the light of the world, and in so doing, we become the light of the world. We become reflections of God in the world. Rise, church, and shine. I'll say two things here because it's the way the text says it, so it might sound strange at first. But for, the, for those wondering, when does this happen? What's the timing of this? The technical theological answer is, uh, sort of. <laughs> God's glory has risen. You see that in verse 1. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What, what does he say in verse 2? His glory will be seen upon you. Now and not yet. There's a fuller version of this we wait for. But even now, you have seen God's glory. We might think sometimes, church, we don't have much to offer the world. In a kind of humility, we go, they don't need anything from me. They don't need me talking to them about Christ. They don't need any of this. What do I have to offer? Do you have Christ? You have much to offer, church. It's not about you and your glory, right? All the glory falls back to him. It's what he's done for you. But don't talk yourself out of shedding his glory abroad. Don't talk yourself out of shedding his lights to those around you. Secondly, the eye of the beholder. And we come to verses 4 through 7, the first half of 7. He says, lift up your eyes all around and see. I love this emphatic idea. This is where he's getting to not only the, the going to the nations, but also restoring Israel. Israel's going to be gathered back together. The nations are going to come together. Everything's going to come together. And he says, lift up your eyes all around and see. It's like, don't be satisfied with just looking in one place. They're coming from over there. They're coming from over there, right? Look all around and see. God invites us, first of all, to see as he sees, to, see, to know what he knows about this beautiful life. Can you see as he sees? Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. This is a family reunion we're seeing here in this picture that God is painting for us. And he says, see and be radiant. I love those uh, words there. It reminds me of 1 John. When, how can we reflect this glory? It's when we see him, right? 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when, uh, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We shall see him and be like him. We will be radiant when all of us are brought together, when God gathers all of his lost children from exile, from the nations, whatever it is that separates them. This is the picture-perfect result. And then this interesting language in the second half of verse 5, because the abundance, actually the first half, then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult. There's actually, you might have a note on that translation where it can also be translated, tremble and grow wide, or even be enlarged. I think of the Grinch, right? This holiday season, his heart grew three sizes. This is what we'll be like. We'll look around and see, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had this much room to love because of all the family that God is gathering together. He's enlarging our hearts by bringing in, grafting in the Gentiles, by restoring Israel, by by calling together his elect, his chosen people. And then we get this language of prosperity, which really pervades all the way through the first half of seven. Uh, We see the wealth of the nation shall come, a multitude of camels, young camels from Midian, Gold and frankincense, the flocks of Kedar, right? The rams, we're not going to lack anything, right? So this is not a uh, subjective idea that God is giving us. Well, this is what beautiful life is, is you kind of therapeutically uh, just seeing things in a different way. This is a real future that God is promising, an objective reality. It's a reality of beauty. It's, It's to behold, not so much with our own eyes, but with God's, for he is the ultimate beholder. See, the life, the beautiful life, uh, consists in seeing the way he sees. And the beautiful life consists in a world brought together by his grace. And the beautiful life consists in, uh, if I can read my own writing, the beautiful life consists in an objective reality. Right? He's calling us together. At my, at my church, uh, there is a men's group, in which I am a part of, and we, we meet at a coffee shop and just talk. And there's one guy who's got sort of roped in. He's actually a Lutheran. We call him Lutheran Paul because we enjoy being pejorative and reminding him he's not one of us at every possible opportunity. It's how guys are, I guess. So <laughs> he calls us his Presbyterian friends, so turnabout is fair play. But, but basically, when he can't stand not jumping into the conversation anymore, he comes over and talks to us. And it turns out he's an art teacher. Uh, at a Lutheran school in town, and he has uh, invited us on two occasions now to basically be our docent at the Milwaukee Art Museum, so he shows us around and, like, helps us understand the art there. There's a Rembrandt exhibition there now. Does anyone, does that name mean anything to anybody? Of all the, see, there we go. You're very good. So I don't know anything about this. Um, Of all the 17th century Dutch golden age painters that I know, Rembrandt is my favorite uh, now. (laughs) But we go to this art exhibit, and he's showing us around. We're just walking through. Each of us is kind of going. He's like, I'm not going to say anything. I just want to see which ones you gravitate to. And then toward the end, I'm I'm staring at one, and he comes up behind me, and he goes, would you just look at it? And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like, it's like the other dark one that I saw over there. I don't know what. And he's like, no, 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 no. Do you see 
the way the light comes in with such direction? Do you see the tones behind him, how they're, they're dark, but they're, yet they're so rich and crisp? And I'm going, okay. And he's like, it's nothing like these. And I look over at the other ones, and suddenly something strange happens. I start to be able to see with his eyes. I start to go, you're right, that is way better than this sort of like imitation Rembrandt wannabe guy over here. <laughs> I don't even know that guy's name. I know nothing about art. If, it's in the, if beauty's in my eyes to behold, I'm lost. I'm on the outside looking in. But when I can, the more I listen to, to Luther and Paul speak, the more I get it, the more I see the vision. This is how God's word is to us. It's going to open our eyes. It's going to let us see the way that God sees. It's going to let us see the beauty and the richness that is there. And so again, I say, as our text does, in two tenses, lift up your eyes all around, church, and see. And then you shall see and be radiant, now and not yet, to see. Finally, skin deep. Is beauty only skin deep? We see in the second half of verse 7, they shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? But the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. This shows us something uh, which we could maybe have a mischaracterization, right? We see the objective reality of the future that God is promising us, prosperity, right? Is this a prosperity gospel? Is, does our hope consist in things? Does it consist in having more camels and rams? Probably not those things specifically. More modern things we could certainly think of. But there's a depth to the beauty here. And it starts with this, they shall come up with acceptance on my altar. This is a beauty of acceptance before God. Right? The nations are coming, Israel's being restored to what? To join in the spiritual project of Israel. To be right with God. Also, we notice God will beautify his beautiful house. It's not the ornaments, right? As he has said elsewhere, the latter glory is greater than the former. Well, we see, you know, the, the, the house, the temple that Herod built is nothing, right? Where's the temple? It's the temple of Jesus Christ. It's his body. This is what is beautiful to God. And he says in this metaphor here, he has, who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? And John Calvin explains it's, it's like a dove which goes out among the birds and just looks like any other bird. And suddenly it comes back and you realize it's tamed. It belongs to someone. This is what God's people will be like assembled on that great day. Called out of the world, shown to be truly his. And we know also the type of riches that God looks to adorn his gospel, his message, his mission, his church from 1 Peter 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is the adorning of God in his temple and God in his people. 
how we become beautiful. It's a, it's a character thing. Right? It isn't that matter doesn't matter. But it is that beauty is not skin deep, not spiritual beauty, not the beautiful life. The beautiful life is spiritual. It regards the heart. The beautiful life is for all, right? Jew and Gentile. And the beautiful life is accomplished by God. He will beautify his beautiful house. Well, of course, this Christmas season, we, we reflect on the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he to do with all this? How is he beautiful? His appearance is variously described, even prophetically in this book, right? Disfigured beyond all human likeness. The truth is that Jesus is the light. He said he's the light of the world, right? Think about his, the compassion that he radiated. Think about the healing and the life that he gave in abundance to all who, who were around him. And Jesus truly saw, right? He saw things for what they are. And he had depth, right? He was taken into the wilderness and tempted and tested in every way. He shed his light. He truly saw. He had the depth. For him, it was not skin deep. It was not the eye of the beholder. And it was not beauty sleep. He was active. He was in the world. And yet, he met with darkness, with blindness, and with bareness. Darkness covered the land upon his crucifixion. Uh, he was blindfolded and asked to prophesy. And he was stripped bare. Everything that adorned him was taken away. His glory, his position, his power, he laid it all down. And the reason why, we've already read from Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. To make something beautiful to us. To open our eyes so that we can see. The king of glory himself stepped down for us. You ever think about sin in terms of beauty? Sometimes we get tired of, well, yes, okay, I didn't listen to God's rules again, whatever. But if it's the splendor of holiness, if a beautiful life is what he's calling us to, have we, by our sin, not made ourselves hideous in his sight? And with all of that shame, we come to the final verse of 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to be sin. He made him ugly in the Father's sight. He took upon all of that hideousness. He gave it upon himself so that he could give us righteousness, so that he could make us beautiful. The beautiful life is more than uh, sleeping, right? It, it, it's more about waking than sleeping. The beautiful life is more about what is pleasing in God's eyes, not our own. And the beautiful life is what's on the inside Christ has given you a beautiful life. He's given it to you to live, to shine his glory into the world. Go and proclaim his name. We pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the beauty and the perfection of what you have to offer. We think upon who you are and what you've done. 
You who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied yourself, taking upon the form of a servant. All truth is yours as all beauty is yours, Father. So we praise you that you have declared these things to us. You have revealed them to us. Flesh and blood has not done so. We pray we would walk in the splendor of holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.